This is My Child Will Thrive, and I'm your host, Tara Hunkin, nutritional therapy practitioner, certified GAPS practitioner, restorative wellness practitioner, and mother. I'm thrilled to share with you the latest information, tips, resources, and tools to help you on the path to recovery for your child with ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, or learning disabilities. My own experiences with my daughter, combined with as much training as I can get my hands on, research I can dig into, and conferences I can attend, have helped me to develop systems and tools for parents like you who feel overwhelmed trying to help their children. So sit back as I share another great topic to help you on your journey. It's episode six of the My Child Will Thrive podcast, and here's what's coming up. It's just, it's a different view of brain operation from, say, psychopharmacology, which is more chemical-based. We change your, your, your trans... A quick disclaimer before we get started. My Child Will Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare practitioner. The information provided on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat your child. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any information or treatments that you have learned about on this podcast. There are many gifted, passionate, and knowledgeable practitioners with hundreds if not thousands of hours of study and clinical experience available to help guide you. Part of our goal is to give you the knowledge and tools you need to effectively advocate for your child so that you don't blindly implement each new treatment that comes along. No one knows your child better than you. No one knows your child's history like you do or can better judge what is normal or abnormal for your child. The greatest success in recovery comes from the parent being informed and asking the right questions and making the best decisions for their child in coordination with a team of qualified practitioners in different areas of specialty. Now on with the show. I'm really excited today to have John Beckert with me. He is um, from the Balanced Brain Neurofeedback Training Center and is going to help us uh, understand what neurofeedback is and how it can help our kids. So welcome, John. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Delighted to be able to contribute to this community. It's, uh, you're, doing a, you're doing a good thing, lady. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you here. You and I have chatted before, but I'd like everybody to understand how you came to be in the area of neurofeedback, what, uh, what brought you to this field, and why you're so passionate about it. Well, I began my, I spent the majority of my life in show business uh, as a talent representative, dealing with <laughs> probably the most dysregulated brains on the planet. Uh, so I was very comfortable with the wide range of possibilities on how people can operate <laughs> their, uh, their brain system. Um, but my, my personal story began with my own daughter, uh, my eldest. I have, I have two. Uh, and my eldest, we noticed, was having some milestone difficulties they weren't profound it wasn't obvious it wasn't like oh my god red flags you know shooting stars and whatnot it was just a subtle gee she doesn't really seem to be as connected with everything i mean perfectly delightful child not not no no real big struggles but communication skills were were of question and, and I think the first person that we talked to uh, thought perhaps she had some kind of a, um, a learning disability. So, you know, something was going on. She was, how old was she? Probably six or seven at this yeah. point. She was already in school. And, you know, just, the, you know, the teachers were noticing in preschool and then in kindergarten. You know, she doesn't quite connect. 
in exactly the right way with the other kids and doesn't quite get the material we're talking about in as timely a fashion as some of the others. And as I said, her early milestones, you know, developmentally were not off the charts. You know, she spoke a little late, she walked a little late, but it wasn't, uh, as I said, it wasn't red flag uh, time. Um, so we came to the, to the kind of diagnosis party a bit late. Um, you know, in retrospect, obviously, I wish I'd had better information early on about what was going on with her because I could have done interventions even earlier. So for your audience, if you're suspecting something, you're probably right. Check it out and be aggressive about pursuing the interventions that you think are, are valuable for you because they will do you a world of good. Earlier is better. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty much that simple. Um, so as I said, I, I was in a wholly different business and very consumed with it. And I, I you know, obviously our, our whole family, our, our family resources and time and energy got devoted to finding out what was going on with this kid. Um, I had then had it, uh, you know, I had a, another younger child to which I continually apologize for the amount of time resources that were absorbed by the elder. Um, I'll pay for some therapy later in her life. Um, <laughs> I think we've all, but, we uh, all experienced that to some degree. Uh, so. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and for all the, par- all the parents out there, it's just part of the territory. If you've got a child with, with a struggle, uh, you're going to spend an inordinate amount of time and the other siblings are going to suffer. All you can do as a parent is apologize up front yeah. and, and try to make it an understandable and give them as much specific attention is a little sidebar give them as much specific time and attention as you can when you can yeah um so that they don't feel left out but at any rate she 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 had these sort of undefined i don't know what kind of um struggles and and we took her to a number of developmental pediatricians and various specialists and and um Nobody could really put a real finger on. Maybe she has ADD. Maybe she has uh, auditory processing disorder. Maybe I think that was probably one of the early ones that we went after. Um, a big shout out to uh, to um, um, Advanced Brain Technologies and the Listening Program, by the way. Uh, yes. a wonderful intervention. Um, good for, uh, frankly, good for everybody. I've done it. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think it enhances. Enhances brain activity uh, across the board, um, but if you're suspecting your child has got some issues, again, that's an easy one to get into really early. Um, not a not a, a high price point and a, and a very effective intervention. Sidebar. Uh, so <laughs> there's lots of those. To, <laughs> lots oh, of sidebars boy, oh, boy, with oh, our boy. kids, so no worries. Absolutely, and 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 to again to all the parents, you're going to do 50 things. And, you know, and it's okay. You don't have to do them in any particular order. You don't have to do, um, well, I have my own opinion about mine, but <laughs> you don't, when you add them in and how you add them in is less important than you do add them in. And, and bearing in mind, your child is not a science experiment. It really doesn't matter which one is the most advantageous. Just do them all as, as quickly and as powerfully as you can. Um, the more information that a child can get as they develop uh, is good. So yeah. whether it's uh, occupational therapy or physical therapy or, or, spe- or speech and language or, you know, social skills groups or whatever the thing might be, do them all. And <laughs> don't worry about, oh, this one first, that one. Just if, if you can, I mean, I understand the economics of this. Um, it, do, them, do as many of them as you can, as early as you can. So anyway, so we're watching this child develop and, and struggle in school and kind of struggle socially. She's a charming kid, you know, very uh, engaging and, and aware in some regards, but didn't just quite understand how to reciprocate. 
and, and, and social interactions and didn't quite understand exactly what the teacher was saying unless it was repeated two or three times. Mm. Um, so we found ourselves with a development of pediatrician who sent us to UCLA um, where she kind of fit the diagnosis criteria and they were very, they were very kind and nice to us and said, listen, we're going to give you a diagnosis of autism. She kind of falls in that weird gray middle part where she doesn't, she doesn't have the 12 things you're supposed to have. She only has seven, you know, but she's, she's developmentally delayed to a certain extent. So we're going to give you this autism diagnosis because it'll get you services. Uh, we said, terrific. Okay. Again, a lot of people get, speaking to your parents, um, you get afraid of a diagnosis. Don't worry. Take whatever in school or in, in the medical community or wherever you are, a lot of people have a lot of fear around that. Oh, my kid is going to be labeled. You know what? You need services for your kid. If it requires them being labeled for something, you know, it's not like this is going to go on your permanent record or, okay, and you still yeah. need your services for your child. So do what you need to do and don't be afraid of some, some um, societal impression of your child. It doesn't matter. Take care of your kid. That's number one. Um, so I, I didn't have any particular issues. You want to label my kid has, uh, that, that she has autism and it's going to get me services? I'm all on board. Yeah. Um, so we then went to, here in California, we have a system called the Regional Center, which he had heard about through someone. You know, it's like, oh, here's a state-funded, taxpayer-funded uh, you know, resource for, uh, for interventions and support that you can go after. They did their own evaluation and gave her a diagnosis of PDD-NOS, which frankly for me <sighs> kind of makes sense. She is, yeah. for, she is pervasive, she's developmentally delayed, and uh, we don't know why, not otherwise specified. Great. Exactly. Uh, that was a very comfortable diagnosis for me. So between the two, between the services that we got, the, the services that we were able to, to go after, primarily the big one being the, the regional centers, um, each state is different, unfortunately. Um, but if you have that in your state, don't hesitate to get involved. They're, they're terrific. Uh, there's a, a longer part to the story of what, where my daughter is right now that is also being supported by a regional center. Um, but I'm losing my train of thought. So we started doing everything. We started doing speech and language. We did occupational therapy. We did physical therapy. We did uh, fast forward. We did uh, the listening program. Um, we did a bunch of stuff. And then somebody at somewhere along the line told me about this thing called neurofeedback. And I'd never heard of it. I said, what is it? Well, you go and you, they do stuff to your brain and it makes your kid better. So, okay. <laughs> so I'm, all I'm in. in. I'm all in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. The, the operative phrase being makes my kid better. Yeah. Um, so I, I went and started to explore it, did a little internet searching, such as it was back in the day, um, and discovered that a lot of people have been doing this. This is not some unknown commodity. Uh, neurofeedback's been around for 60 years. I mean, it's, it's a really uh, long-term uh, at least scientifically speaking, investigation into how to, how to change brainwaves for, for better performance. Um, it's just, it's a different view of brain operation from, say, psychopharmacology, which is more chemical-based. Mm. We change your, your, your neurotransmitter values, and that's going to improve your brain function. Ours is electrical. It's, it's the other side of the equation. The brain is a bioelectric uh, organ. So you can approach it from either side. Um, I have my... Uh, I have a lot of opinions about the, pharm the pharmacological interventions because during the time of, uh, of our early of our early work with uh, with my daughter, we did a lot of medications. Mm 
and I, I'm embarrassed and mortified now in retrospect that I went down that road so easily, but that's the frame I'm grown up in. I mean, if three MDs in my family, it's like, yeah, doctors know everything and you take drugs for stuff and that's the way things work. Um, and I went, okay, so we were in the midst of doing all of that, the, the real point of, of, of making a decision on, on trying something like neurofeedback was um, we were at a, a holiday function at her school. And she was on, I don't know, Lamictal and Risperdal and, you know, a couple of antipsychotics. It just, it was, her behaviors, I should circle back, her behaviors were never exhibited in school. They only were exhibited at home. Mm -hmm. Her frustration with her intolerance for um, life as it came at her was clearly very difficult for her to interpret and to respond to appropriately like most kids. Yeah. And she was overwhelmed all the time and would act out violently sometimes. She'd throw things. She'd scratch. She'd bite. I mean, it was, uh, it was very tough. Never at school. The, the, the teachers yeah. were all like, what? They were, they were flabbergasted that we would make, have these uh, descriptions in, in meetings about our kids' behaviors, and uh, we don't see any of that. So, you know, gratefully, one of, the psycho one of the psychologists somewhere along the line said, well, that's because, you know, she feels safe in, you know, your loving family, so she's willing to expose herself, yeah. you know, emotionally. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you're so I comfortable as you're as you're being punched, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think that uh, a number of the parents that have dealt with this with their kids, in particular the girls, it's very typical uh, presentation is that they hold it all together at school. That's mm -hmm. why they take so long to diagnose them typically as well. Is they, they just don't, they aren't the yeah. problem in the school setting in particular yeah. and or in the daycare yeah. setting. So it, it, uh, it gets missed for a really long time. So I, I think your story is very similar. Well, will resonate with a lot of parents, especially the ones of girls that have gone through this. So, and myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and to that point, I guess, you know, if you have a, 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 a girl, uh, be extra alert. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're, if they're, I mean, I have genetic history in my family, which I didn't really resonate with me as my daughter was in her toddler years. And now that I think back about it, I see some family genetic patterns that I should have probably been more aware of. Um, uh, so something to think about again for parents. If you think about your, you know, your, your brother, your cousin, you know, whatever, think about your own family genetic history and see if there's something there. I think there is a, there certainly is a connection genetic wise, uh, genetically speaking. Um, but be more observant, especially about females, because you're right. They're, they're, they are much more able at an earlier age to manage their stuff. Boys yeah. are a little more volatile. Um, so we were at a, we were at a uh, holiday function, which was probably the seminal moment of, of deciding that we needed to do something different where we were observing her and a, you know, bunch of kids singing songs, wearing little hats, you know, whatever. And there's my daughter, uh, interestingly enough, literally in the center of the field, you know, with this blank expression on her face, just not participating, not singing, not to my way of looking, not really aware of what was going on. So, uh, you know, my wife and I are like, okay, whatever we're doing here, this isn't it. This cannot be her future to be mm -hmm. on these, these really potent medications, which, you know, again, it, partly in retrospect, looking back, it's like, this is all off-label, non-dosage identified experiment mm -hmm. on my child's body and brain. 
and I, I'm embarrassed to say I did it. And uh, I would caution anybody as you're going into this area to be very aware uh, of, of these medications and what they mean. I mean, Risperdal was touted as being the go-to medication for autism. It turned out to be a disaster. And that was probably the most difficult one for us to get her off, by the way. So if anybody's on Risperdal, be extremely careful. Um, I think they're still prescribing it. It, it um, is commonly prescribed still. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is off-label. They've never done a study on dosaging for uh, doses for children, ever. And uh, most of these medications have um, very few, if any, long-term studies attached to them. Mm -hmm. So you are in an experimental phase giving your child medications, period, mm -hmm. the end. And that may be comfortable for some. It was comfortable for us for a number of years until I started to say the results here that I'm seeing are not acceptable. Yeah. I cannot imagine this child going through the rest of her life um, acting and looking like this. Mm -hmm. So we looked around. Anyway, so somebody had mentioned to us neurofeedback. I said, okay, let, let, let's go check it out. And you know, I sat and talked to some people and did my own research on it as, as best you can and realized that here is a non-invasive, side-effect-free, as far as anybody can tell, um, attempt to and I'll, I'll go through some of the different kinds of neurofeedback uh, mm -hmm. as we speak, and there are different ones to, to look at. But generally speaking, a side effect free um, intervention that can help shape brainwave structures and patterns and therefore your interaction with the universe. Oh, that's, that's pretty appealing, <laughs> especially the side effect free part. So we went and did a number of sessions with a provider in a different modality than I use. And we're, we're pretty pleased, actually, with, with what had happened in a relatively short period of time. We're talking, I don't know, 20 or 30, 40 sessions, something like that. Um, uh, and I should, again, for your community, make sure you understand that neurofeedback is a long-haul reality for kids on the spectrum. This mm -hmm. is not a simple fix for common sleep disorder or migraine problem. Um, we view... I'm not sure where you want to get into the different kinds of neurofeedback right now. Yeah. I can say that later. No, we, whenever it makes sense for you, John. I mean, I, I think that a lot of parents don't, if for those that have never even had an introduction to it, it'd be great to just hear mm -hmm. on, a, on a top level what, what neurofeedback is and how it works. And then okay. uh, yeah. and talk about the, couple the, the different types of neurofeedback that are options for their kids. Right. Well, I think the, probably the biggest and easiest dividing line that you, you need to, to look at as a parent uh, is the, the, there are stimulatory techniques and non-stimulatory techniques. Um, the stimulatory techniques are some kind of electrical, magnetic stimulation of the brain for, to provoke a response, to get the brain to engage with what has just happened. The brain, is, the brain is designed to do a couple of things really, really well. It's designed to, uh, it's, it's a system and it will react to anything that's done to it. Um, so that's the, the that's the thesis behind all of these uh, interventions is that the brain is very accommodating to, to taking in and utilizing information and trying to make some sense of it in some mm -hmm. fashion, be it sight, sound, you know, whatever. Um, so it's very good at that. It recognizes patterns instantly. It's quite good at it. Um, and patterns aren't always uh, correct, by the way. It's mm -hmm. why magic works. You know, the magician will lead you down a road 
to a conclusion that is clearly he's put the rabbit somewhere else. Um, so the brain is just trying to figure out what's going on. That's all. It's, it's, it's sitting there in the dark, floating around, trying to make sense of the stuff that comes in. And um, neurofeedback, so using a stimulatory technique, would it would put a tiny microcurrent, let's say, or some kind of a pulsed magnetic force into the brain to provoke some kind of response and therefore a change. And then you see, well, what does that change result in? So by, by manipulation of various uh, stimulations in various parts of the brain, you can pr promote a circuit connection that perhaps wasn't there. The same is true in the, in the passive techniques. You present information to the brain for its own analysis. So in our technique, let's say, and, and, and this is true of a lot of the, the passive ones, you're presenting brain signals on some kind of a, a video or auditory uh, platform. So a sound will change, a, a visual thing will change, something will flicker on screen, a rocket ship will go or not go. There's a lot of different ways to think about this, but it all comes back to the brain doing something to change itself to get a result that is witnessable. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the theory behind all of this, <clears throat> that the brain is adaptable, it is obviously flexible, it takes in an enormous amount of information, and then it tries to make something useful out of it for its own purposes. Um, our particular technique, uh, I should probably, I'm trying to think of where I should go into this. Mm -hmm. Our particular technique is a passive one, and ours is unique, uh, the kind that I do, it's just called infralow frequency training, or the Othmer method, named after the discoverers and promoters of this particular methodology. The Othmers, I must say, have been doing neurofeedback for 35 years, and by the way, have their own story. <laughs> I digress four or five times in one sentence. They have, their own, they have their own personal story, as so many people do who do this kind of work, uh, uh, in that their son had epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, life-shattering. He couldn't function at all. So they discovered this lady in Santa Monica, and she's doing something with brainwaves. Let's go see her and see if we can get our kid better from his epilepsy. And indeed, it worked. So that propelled them to change their lives, much like mine. They're both physicists, sadly enough, and went into the, went into the field of neurofeedback full-time uh, probably 35 years ago. Wow. So they developed this, this methodology that I used over the last dozen or so years um, as they discovered clinically that the lower and lower they went in frequency, the more potent the response was to, for the patient, for the client. Mm -hmm. And um, didn't have any particular science behind it. It was just a clinical observation, as so much science is. It was like, oh, this is happening. I wonder what that's about. So after years of doing it that way, it, it serendipitously was validated by some fMRI research, which said, oh, there's networks in your brain that operate at these very, very low frequencies. Um, and they interact with each other entirely for themselves. This has nothing to do with you and I speaking or perceiving anything. It's, this is about how the brain conducts its own business inside its own environment. Um, they're regulation networks, the primary one being the default mode network. And the default mode network, or the, also called the resting state network, which is probably a very... Um, uh, uh, it's, it's a nice way to describe yeah. it because it's the brain at rest. It's the idle chatter. It's not doing anything particular. And if that, is, if that network is not modulated well, all kinds of higher, quote-unquote, higher brain functions are going to be affected. It's the mm -hmm. core regulatory structure. It's just why I think we, we do so well with kids on the spectrum is that, that those early developmental mechanisms, or those mechanisms in early development have not 
come online as, as well as they should. Yeah. And so this is a communication. I mean, I, we view autism spectrum disorders as a communication problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that there's some vast deficit in, in a child's brain. It's, it, it's that this part over here is not connected well to this part over here. So the mm-hmm. information flow isn't, isn't being properly aligned for, for analysis. So um, uh, um, information will come in, sensations will come in, and if they're not processed properly, they're overwhelming, of course. If the, if the brain can't pattern match these, these you know, variety of sounds that are coming in, the kid's going to put his hand over his ear. It's too much. I can't listen to this. They're going to run mm-hmm. away. They're gonna, there's a whole wide variety of responses, I suppose, that one could have. Um, and you see it in kids with the spectrum all the time. You know, that's uh, the self-soothing strategies, the, you know, the avoidance of, of, um, of stimuli. Um, uh, my, my own child, just to, to wash her hair was a nightmare. Yeah. She had the scalp sensitivity, which seems very, very common in spectrum disorder kids. Um, that it makes total sense when you think about it. It's like, well, something is just bugging me. Stop! I get it. So um, it's one of the actually one of the challenges of neurofeedback is actually getting the sensors on kids' heads. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big that's a big challenge because of that scalp uh, hypersensitivity. Um, but uh, so our particular technique addresses those low frequency self-regulatory mechanism responses, which are developmentally delayed yeah. in kids on the spectrum. Which makes, makes a lot of sense in terms of um, where the kids, you know, a lot of kids don't lose their primitive reflexes, which impedes the ability for the brain to develop appropriately. And exactly. therefore exactly. you end up with all these the the end results there so who typically exactly. is a good candidate for your t- style um the non-stimulatory approach that you take uh of neurofeedback anybody <laughs> it's that's fantastic <laughs> i know it's a terrible way to answer your question but i mean i, I truthfully I, I believe that to be true yeah um, and if neurofeedback were in every school we wouldn't have half the issues we'd have this is a um um, to, to use a slightly different frame, this is a technologically assisted mindfulness technique. It's yeah. a way to look inside self and modulate self. We wouldn't have the behavioral issues, the ADD, the you know all of that stuff. Whatever category, you know, the, all the behavioral problems that schools are, are challenged with right now. Um, if this were part of a, a program of early intervention, you wouldn't see half of that. Yeah. And you'd identify kids who are having internal communication issues, whatever label you want to call that, um, they would be ameliorated early on and you'd see progress, you know, rather quickly over time. And when I say quickly, I'm talking in months or years, not decades. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't think there's anybody who couldn't benefit, truthfully. Yeah. Uh, there are very few people born with the, the, the cognitive, you know, structural skills uh, of a 40-year Zen meditator. It takes work <laughs> and practice. Our, yeah. our, ours is just an easier, but probably the easiest way that I can envision doing it is through some kind of neurofeedback technique. If someone's to come in and do the work that you're talking about, and as you said, the, the, the protocols are long-term, they're not overnight successes. If someone brings their child in, what types of outcomes can they expect with their child? I know it will be different based on their symptoms, but... 
I mean, it's different for every kid, and the outcomes are different for, I mean, there, there are, as you know, there are so many variables in this conversation. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if one's nutritional platform is not right, you will have less impact in any intervention you do. Mm-hmm. If, um, if your family um, psychological circumstances aren't handled well, if there's strife and, 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 and stuff in the family, if the family is not doing well, um, that's going to affect outcomes. They're all interrelated. So you have to have reasonable expectations for everything. I mean, if I, when, I, when a parent comes in, those are the kind of conversations I have. You know, how is your family? Uh, what do you guys eat? You know, yeah. are you are, are you on some kind of regimen? Does this child get physical exercise? You know, I mean, the, the obvious. It's like this, we're not. This isn't something that's mystical. Um, seems to be sometimes as I see come, kids come in here with their happy meals, um, and I, I I just look at the parents going, "You're not helping me here. You're making the job a lot harder." Um, no, no disrespect to McDonald's, and eh, maybe a little. Um, <laughs> sorry, hope they're not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not in this lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so we're on the same page. So, so uh, expectations that people can have over time. This is a cumulative, incremental and cumulative training program. It's like learning mm-hmm. the piano. It's like learning French. Like, like doing anything else that you want to think about uh, in terms of your, your, your brain. Uh, every session you do is a little bit. They add up over time. Yeah. More is better. If, if people can come every day twice, great. Come three times a day. I mean, there's no there's no downside to doing neurofeedback uh, regularly and frequently. Uh, it will amplify the results. Kids on the spectrum can plan on spending a lot of time doing neurofeedback. It's not, mm-hmm. as I said earlier on, one of the more simple conversations we have with people about their modest anxiety disorder issue or their, their sleep problems or their migraines. Um, this is a developmental hierarchical reorganization of brain function it takes a while so i don't yeah. want to need to have uh, some expectation that it's some there's some magic here there isn't it's a training program mm-hmm. um the brain seeks information and seeks to do something useful with it and and does it frankly in its own way in time every you know the old soft but one kid with autism you've met one kid with autism they're yeah. all different they all have their own different challenges and they all will progress and 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 get better in their own time um having said all that one could expect over let's say a six to nine month period to see yeah. some pretty remarkable gains um i have not had some of the really really young kids uh, like sue Othmer has she's dealt with kids as young as two weeks old mm-hmm. uh doing her feedback brain training if the child has vision there's even a way to do it for people uh who uh, are lacking vision, but if people have visual acuity, that's the sort of start point of when you can do neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. So it can be done really, really early on. Um, but people will progress from nonverbal to verbal in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. Now it's not, you know, they're not going to be reading Shakespeare, but it's a profound difference from someone, a child who is unable to communicate verbally to asking in the most basic of senses what they need water, food, love, hug, whatever. It, that's, a, that's a huge breakthrough for a lot of parents. They're actually communicating with their child. The child is connecting with them and starting to make that progress. And it, it expands exponentially from there. Then you're talking sent phrases, then you're talking sentences, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's, you plan on spending a goodly 
when I say six to nine months, that that's kind of the frame to say, okay, we're on this road. Now, where it ends, I don't know. My daughter, just to get people a frame, has probably done three or four hundred sessions of neurofeedback at least, maybe mm-hmm. more. I've lost track. Yeah. Um, which brings us to the economics of this. Is a very expensive intervention. Most clinics, mine included, uh, f- especially for kids uh, on the spectrum, have home training devices. Mm-hmm. So you go, you'll do a certain amount of uh, neurofeedback with somebody like me, then you'll take a machine home and you'll do this regularly in your own home. Yeah. If, if possible. Some parents literally can't do it. Yeah. It's just too challenging. Because yeah. that's, uh, that's it, it, economically, it's the only way it can be done. It's far too expensive to have me do it. Yeah. So that's a, an option to ask any trainer that you might run across in whatever modality they're using, is this possible to do this at home? Um, most will say yes. And, and by doing it at home, it does reduce the cost of continuing on with the sessions, right? Oh my, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm honest. I, it's like, it's, it's one of the things that propelled me into this. I knew it was working and I'm looking at my own finances and I'm going, Oh my God, I better go get trained to do this and do it myself. So, I mean, I went even farther than just renting a machine. I said, I, I really want to know about this because it was so intriguing. So I went yeah. and took the training with the Othomers and purchased the machinery and did the whole thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not suggesting everybody should do that. They probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, but renting, think, renting a home trainer is a good option. Yeah. No, there's, there's plenty of parents out there that have changed careers as a result of what's happened with their children. Um, really? so, so <laughs> Including myself. So, um, yeah, there's the, uh, there's the lead-in for that. The, um, so if a parent, when a parent first brings their child into your clinic, what, what are the steps you go through in terms of obviously you said you sit down with them and talk to them about their lifestyle um diet and exercise and all those things but beyond that with the neurofeedback itself what does it look like when you come into the office yeah i mean even before that my usually my first conversation with people is i'm not zapping your kid's brain let's start with that i'm not manipulating this kid's brainwaves and not changing who they are. They are who they are. It's in there someplace. We're just trying to promote the, the communication skills of, for that person to be able to unfold as a human being. Mm-hmm. So I try to I try to assuage their faith. There's no electricity going into your kid's head. That's not my kind of technique. Ours is passive, which is reading what's coming out. So you try to, because it's, it's kind of weird. You know, you walk in, you see this weird machinery and wires and stuff, and it's, it's a little, it can, I guess it could be a little scary. I've been doing it for so long, I've kind of lost that feeling. But mm-hmm. I could see for a parent, it's got to be a little scary. And who am I? And why should I entrust my child's welfare to you? Who are you? What do, why do you do it? So I, I tell my story. And my, my story resonates with lots of people because it is so personal. And I saw the dramatic changes in my own child um, that happened as a result of neurofeedback and got her off all her medications. And she's you know in school and doing well and has friends. I mean, it's like she has mm-hmm. a, a real life. And I mean, again, my child was pretty high functioning it probably wouldn't be apparently uh, apparent and noticeable on first pass that she had some kind of an issue until you started to talk to her for a few minutes um but at any rate it's so it's it's got to be a kind of a scary thing to come into an office but i mean i i'm very casual i try you know and i deal with kids all the time so i i, I 
relate to them pretty well and we have a good time and, and all of that. So I try to assuage the parents' fears that they're doing something mystical and magical because it really isn't. This is just a learning tool. Um, we're mm-hmm. reading brainwaves that are coming out we're, and we're putting them up on screen in some fashion. The, 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 the best part about my particular technique is the kids get to watch cartoons or movies. It really yeah. doesn't matter what's up on screen for them. So it's very pleasant for the kid. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very engaging. We've got video games, rocket ships flying through tunnels, things that are very uh, intriguing for, for young kids especially. But they can also watch SpongeBob or you know Bob the Builder or whatever. It doesn't matter. What happens on the screen is a flickering or a shrinking of the screen, something obviously noticeable, mm-hmm. but not the kid doesn't care. They're just watching SpongeBob. You know, the, the fact that the screen is doing things is the important part for the brain to notice because those mm-hmm. are the patterns we're asking it to recognize. Um, but the content is not important. Mm-hmm. So you can put anything up that you like, that whatever you find pleasant and comfortable. So it's a very, it's an easy experience for kids. The only challenging part is they have to sit still in a chair for 45 minutes. and That can be challenging. Uh, surprisingly, a lot of kids who come in here um, they'll do a session and the parents will remark at the end of the first session, my kid has never sat still for 45 minutes ever in his life. That's astonishing. Yeah. And all we're doing is we're taking advantage of the kid's natural desire to watch, you know, Bob the Builder. Yeah. Or Thomas the Tank Engine, you know, whatever the thing is that they enjoy. And I ask yeah. the parents, what does your kid like to watch? The only challenging kids I have found are kids who really aren't interested in visual content. Yes. Okay. Okay, now we're gonna we got now we got our work cut out for us. Yeah, that's very few, that's very few kids. So so um, while they're sitting there watching that, you're talking about the electrodes that are on the head. What what does that exactly look like, and how many are you attaching, and how do you I'm do attaching, that? Our our system attaches four. So can I? I no, we're we're they won't be able to. See. We're, I can't I can't, can't show, show you right now. It's not not this time. Oh, I know. Right, it's so I'm much easier if you can see. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get a handheld. Well, um, I actually am going to put up a video on my website about this because it's constantly asked. All, all we're doing is we're sticking out with some very unpleasant sticky paste. It's the only bad part about neurofeedback, but it's an electroconductive paste. We stick these sensors on the child's head, which feed back to an amplifier, which amplifies. These are tiny. These are millions of a volt. These are tiny, mm-hmm. tiny uh, signals that leak through the skull. This is a traditional EEG reading. There's nothing yeah. magical going on here. They've been doing this for 75 years. Um, we turn it into some kind. We, we take those patterns of change that the brain is registering with these sensors, and we turn it into something visual. Yeah. Shrinking, growing, flickering. It's, it's very obvious. Um, it's, it's not... Um, you know, it's not something that wouldn't be noticeable to your to a person witnessing it, um, so, and so that's I'm, that. That's what we're looking for the brain to grab onto. What are the changes? What do they mean? It's so, a brain and, and and so it's that that them seeing that is what um, affects the change. Exactly right. It's the brain's engagement with its own signal. Interesting. It has nothing to do with thinking has nothing to do with me talking to anybody about anything. It's not, this is not a therapy. This mm-hmm. is a training. There's no task associated with it, the kind that I do. Other, other forms have a task. We have to think about something in order to make the rocket ship fly faster, the Pac-Man eat up a, eat up a power cube. Uh, ours is entirely passive in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't require any activity in terms of and that. That's a useful one for a lot of kids because uh, they don't want to do it. Yeah. So ours is just watch a movie. Yeah, you know, I'm just tricking them to sitting in a chair by giving them something pleasant to look at while the brain yeah. interacts with itself. The yeah. brain is charged with understanding its own patterning and trying to make adjustments accordingly for better function. 
That's the job of the brain. It's designed to do that. And we're just giving it very salient, very powerful, in the moment information about what it's doing right now. Yeah. This is what you're doing. Do you want to change that? It's a question we're asking. We're not demanding it. We're not pushing it. We're saying, is this the optimal function that you perceive your, yourself to have? And the brain, of mm-hmm. course, answers, well, no. I'm kind of, look at all this. I'm jumping all over the place. I don't need to do that. That's a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me modulate myself so that that flickering stops because it's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and so, try, it, it's a so, hard conversation because it gets anthropomorphic and clearly yeah. the brain isn't, but yeah. it sort of is. Is, so is there something that visually, as you as a practitioner see in terms of the change and tr- what, what is coming from the brain and is being displayed on the video over time as the kids get better? I wish that were true. Yeah. <laughs> Make it easier, <laughs> Again, wouldn't it? Everybody asks that question. The brain is different every day. Yeah. If the child hasn't slept well, the brain is going to perform differently. Mm-hmm. If he's had um, uh, too young for coffee, but... Um, some food item. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> that would stimulate their system. Their brain will be reacting a little bit differently. Yeah. It doesn't matter to the machinery. Machinery will take in all sorts of levels of brain activity and present mm-hmm. the same changes back in the same fashion it does every time. But there's no way currently to look over time to say, oh, that brainwave looks better than it did before. That's yeah. an improvement brainwave it really isn't about that this is about self these these are about network circuitries that are inaccessible to us mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a in a linear fashion um, we're going to see the changes like everything else from behavior yeah their calmness their emotion their reactivity their sensitivity to to uh, physical uh, stimuli their social interactions. We're going to look at improvement. Those are, those are the areas. If somebody's coming to my office, I will go down a very long list of what are the symptoms that you're observing that are troubling to you. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a long conversation about those symptoms. It helps me, number one, with protocol placement. But that's kind of the measuring technique of what we're seeing here, not the brain waves on any screen that I yeah. might see. It's the behaviors in their environment. Mm-hmm. Not, not in my office. <laughs> the behaviors out in the, in, in the real world. Yeah, um, which is why this feedback loop is so important. The more you give, the, m- the more often you can do this, the more information you give the brain to make self-adjustment, mm-hmm. the more powerful response you're going to see. Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. So what, um, what do you recommend to parents in terms of if they are interested in um, looking into neurofeedback for their child? Um, how do they find other than obviously yourself? I'd love it. Let, let us know where you can be found at, but how do they find a, a good and qualified practitioner that they can trust? Um, well, I'm a big fan of my own product of my own product. So I would, my number one place that I would go look is eeginfo.com. They have a search, you know, a search bar up there, find a clinician. Um, tragically it's, kind of big city-ish at this point. If you live in a ex- very rural area, you're going to find it really hard to find uh, neurofeedback providers of any stripe with mm-hmm. using any kind of modality. It's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, but eeginfo.com is a great place to look. Uh, just do, do a basic Google search, neurofeedback mm-hmm. Cincinnati. See what comes up. Um, you'll find, at this point, you'll find lots uh, I think of providers again around the in any major metropolitan area 
I, I can't speak to Canada. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the, uh, the Signet, the uh, ILF uh, platform, which is called Signet, I mean, we're in 28 countries. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a worldwide um, uh, network. just depends on where you live. But do your, own, do your own research. And I think the biggest one is to get comfortable with what kind of procedure you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally would find it a little more difficult to do a stimulation technique. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, mm-hmm. Probably because I saw Cuckoo's Nest when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so not science-based, <laughs> just, just a personal preference. <laughs> well, it's just a personal preference, exactly. No, I, I, you know, the, the truth is all of neurofeedback works, in, they work in different ways, but yeah. they all work. So it, be, it comes to what system do you feel comfortable with as a parent? What practitioner do you resonate with? If you meet five different neurofeedback people, pick the one you're most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I mean, truthfully, it's, it's less about the technique as much as I love mine, and I think it's the best. Everybody who's, will say their technique is the best. So, right. And I, I'm, I'm honest about my own opinions about it. Uh, they all do work. Try everything. And, and, if you, and if you try one and it doesn't work, try a different one. Mm-hmm. You know, if you try, you know, lens and lens isn't working for your kid, try something else. Yeah. If you try QEG based and that's not where, try something else. Just go through the process. There's something here and something either your child will resonate with as being meaningful to their particular brain. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think ours is a very holistic approach in terms of the, the way it, it, it approaches brain connectivity and, and hierarchical development of brain function. Uh, but that's not to say that you can't get, you know, results from somebody else's. You can. Yeah. So, I John, it, yeah. <laughs> I wish mine was the only one that worked. <laughs> but, but if someone would like to work with you, where is the best way to contact you? Where can they find well, if, more information? Me personally? About you? Well, I'm in Los Angeles. So if you're within 100 miles of me, no. I do have people come literally from far away. It, it kind of freaks me out sometimes. I go, You're willing to drive from where? Um, okay. This is LA. Bear in mind. Uh, I'm in North Hollywood, California. I'm at thebalancedbrain.com. Uh, you can also find me through the EG Info Reference Guide. Um, uh, but it's obviously my clientele is probably within 10 or 15 miles of my office. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, for somebody outside that zone, there probably is another provider that you can find who yeah. may not be as good as me, but uh, <laughs> they'll be wonderfully qualified and very caring about the, uh, the, the, uh, the progress of your child. Well, John, I really appreciate your time today and it's really helpful to parents to, to listen to another parent who uh, is very passionate about something that can really help all of our kids and uh, giving them this information so they can make the best decisions for their kids as they move along. So thanks for, for all the great information today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good to see you. We'll talk (laughs) soon. So that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me this week on my child will thrive. I'm so passionate about giving you the tools and information you need to help your child recover. And as they say, it takes a village. So join us in the My Child Will Thrive Village Facebook group where you can meet like-minded parents and stay up to date on everything we have going on at My Child Will Thrive. This is Tara Hunkin, and I'll catch you on the next podcast or over at mildchildwillthrive.com.